This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to uh, episode six of season two of the No Stroke Podcast. We really appreciate if you are a regular listener, we always appreciate you tuning in to our new releases. And if you're a new listener, we hope you um, enjoy um, the discussion this evening. Um, um, my name is Dave Dancero for any new listeners, and my co-host is Michael Garrell. Good evening, Michael. Dave, how are we? Doing well. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I feel like these evenings, so we always record in the evenings now, you know, because I mean, we're, we're juggling nine to fives and we're just it's a it's a love that we just like <laughs> spending our our evenings together anyway right but i mean just they're they're getting dark they're getting cold it is yep they're getting dark they're getting cold but and and it's and it's and it's a little tougher each time to get out and train so you know i'm not going to let off on this so give us a little training update how you doing with your sore toes after your last uh, five five k? Was it a five? Was it a three k? Five k? Give us a little recap and how I've, you doing a week post. Right, and, and yeah, I, that's where I was transitioning to. You know, okay. so we we've been doing well. We we've stayed away from any additional five k's, but I've gotten the yoga mix back in. So oh, feeling good. Gonna get okay. some strength stuff happening again. You know, I'm going over to Ireland and all my friends over there still play basketball. It's, it's a semi-pro, you know, uh, league over there, but I mean, they're training four nights a week playing at the weekend. So me to go over there, they're going to be like, I can't go over there and be a laughing stock, you know? So uh, I have to get myself back. Perfect. And you know what, Mike, you did perfect that you mentioned, because we have a great guest coming on shortly, Caitlin Jones. And, and, you know, we talked about, you know, for for those who don't know, we 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 kind of flipped our format and we we actually record and then come back and do the intro. And we talk about Caitlin's superpower, what you'll hear about shortly. But your superpower from the time I met you has always been your yoga. So I'm so happy to really to see you mix that in when you were playing. And and I know you would we'd break away and you know at the end of a long day, you'd always you know you always say I'm going. Can't like I think for a while you were actually out in the park in in Dublin, right? Yeah. You guys would meet yeah. out outdoors and. So good for you. I'm proud of that. So, um, thanks, man. Yeah, it's yeah. it's good. And you know, I, and you know, even any any listeners who have yet to you know dabble into it, I mean, give it a go. Really, it's it's a it's a brilliant blend of yeah, you're you're working. You know, you're building up cardio. You're building a bit of strength, but it's you know the other side of the house. You know, being able to kind of unwind and you know they'll teach you how to do a brief form of meditation and it ties back into our conversation that we had a few episodes ago with um with uh, dr brown from mm. uh, stroke ot who you know talked us through that breathing exercise but yeah i i i love it and you know i'd highly recommend it to anybody out there who's yet to give it a go which Absolutely. which is you david which That's, is you uh, you I'm could trying. again little you can tell huh you can tell <laughs> so mike in the news uh you lived in the news this weekend because we were going back and forth tell us about the event that you attended because that really was that's really was really interesting stuff in the news yeah yeah um you know happy to take this one david it was a cool weekend um so sunday morning i woke up 
uh, I was staying with my girlfriend in Queens. So didn't really have any plans for the day. I was actually quite fortunate because our plans were that she wanted to go help clean her girlfriend's apartment. And I mean, I wasn't really, <laughs> was it really totally on board? I would have done that, absolutely. But um, actually a, a previous guest of ours, um, Brian Harris, put up a, a tweet saying that he was at the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Arts in, in New York City. Um, so I looked into the event and the event was titled the Healing Arts Symposium and kind of had folks from across healthcare, different cultural organizations, government, even the some people from the UN were in there really to discuss uh, you know, how the arts can drive change as a new frontier in healthcare. So it was fascinating to kind of see these different discussions. And Brian actually took the stage, um, talked to what he's doing at Med Rhythms. And to be honest, I was in there. I, I missed the first half of the, the event, but I was there for the whole second half. So I was in there for about three and a half, four hours. And I have to say his presentation got the most oohs and ahs out of all the attendees and you know i think being able to flash up and say yeah i've just partnered with the universal musical music group that could have <laughs> that kind of sealed the deal um so yeah i was fortunate after you know we brian and i had a good chat afterwards um had the photo up so it was, it was nice to see him um, and, and really nice to just see this being discussed, you know, with such influential people, um, you know, so they had, they had the right, you know, regulatory bodies. And they also highlighted the fact that this is a, the arts in arts as therapy is a strategic initiative by the World Health Organization. So, you know, it's, it's moving. And, you know, I think it, as we think, and start defining what, what the arts is, and how that moves into the therapeutic space i mean we saw examples throughout the day of dance for stroke rehab um you know, painting for in in the stroke rehab environment and obviously what what date or what brian and med rhythms are doing with music as a form of, of stroke rehabilitation um it all goes into again what caitlin was discussing today of the fact that you know, people are expecting this type of engagement. It's, it's not just in leisure that we have our fun and we play video games as a form of entertainment or we listen to music or we draw or, you know, anything that kind of creates that, um, cre that brings that creative side out of you. You know, it, it's going to be the same for going through in a rehab experience, you know, um, moving away from, as we always say, the chore to some type of engagement. So, yeah, it, you know, it was a really nice way to spend a Sunday afternoon, you know, if, I, if it wasn't being able to watch the Pats get a great, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad it, I'm glad it was, <laughs> glad it was at the Met. You know, I reached out to you halfway through cause you, you know, uh, I saw the post and reached in and I'm like, wow, you're there. That's perfect. And, um, and I, I, I did have one eye on the on the Pats game, probably the best game of the season. But I also jumped in because it was live streamed. So I saw Brian's uh, presentation. And, you know, just like he came off in, in our uh, podcast when we had him on and, and the feedback that I had after that episode is wild. 
this guy knows his stuff. Like, and that's probably the way exactly came off at the Met. Like he knows we're going to get this done. Like, like this is a digital therapeutic. Let's get it reimbursed. Let's it like the outcomes they're showing. And I can't wait till they, you know, to the, the final data comes out, but like, like, like it's like mic drop after he, after he presents, because it's like, you know what music is here. It's part of therapy and we know it works and let's, let's, let's get it into more uh, individuals hands. And it's just not for stroke. It's for just about every condition that we talked about the potential for it resonating with the brain and recovery. So um, that, that was great that you were able to kind of connect with him again. Um, and I think for me, um, just in the news, the thing, the thing that, um, that came up on an alert, um, they, it posted, it was posted by American heart associations, um, science news, because there's, um, they were talking about, um, the, um, this past weekend, the, um, scientific, scientific sessions were being presented virtually and, um, anytime anything comes up about young stroke, it, my, my radar kind of goes up a little bit more. Um, and the title of this, um, this article was stroke deaths among young adults hit some groups harder than others. And just to quickly recap the article, we'll put in the stroke notes is that, you know, they were saying over the decades, you know, we're trending the right way in some areas for the decline in, in, in stroke, but in other areas, in particularly young adult men, the numbers are going the wrong way. Um, there was a slight dip, but but the data over the last 10 years actually um, are showing in particular the most vulnerable population are young adult men, black and, and Native American and also Alaskan natives. And in those um, segments, they're dying at much higher rates than other groups. Um, so that was presented at the virtual session, but um, they mentioned the barriers, um, which really stick out, you know, limited access to healthcare, the reason why this is happening. They can't afford the needed meds to control some of the risk factors. And, you know, um, and also not being um, experienced to actually understand and know the risk factor and the connection between things like, you know, high blood pressure, cholesterol. Um, diabetes, obesity, and, and just knowing and being able to get that early intervention. I think, um, you know, that resonated to me and the work we're doing with Enable Us, but um, also with Caitlin's um, interview today talking about um, the um, finding innovation and treating and, you know, um, using technology and, and the work she's doing because, you know, you have to make recovery and rehab engaging and fun. And that population is what, you know, she does a much better job explaining like those, those, um, those folks that are surviving younger, they're going to be the, the geriatric population someday who we're going to need to have things that are meaningful. And for them, gaming, they grew up with gaming. So um, I think, you know, that's really all I have to say on that, because um, I'd like Caitlin to you know, do you, you want to just do a quick introduction before uh, just um, how we came across uh, how really you're responsible for, you know, it really, um, Caitlin's wanna, work really, yeah, really. Yeah, you want to talk about my LinkedIn stalking that I did? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, since you're full confession, I know you did a lot of your own research in this area. So I know you're still on the pulse of the new stuff that's in, in interesting stuff that's coming out in this area. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I I came across Caitlin um, from a 
mutual contact on LinkedIn, uh, actually at an event you attended. So the Rehab Tech Summit that that was last year, um, uh, it was a lot of folks within, you know, this occupational or occupational therapist, PTs, um, speech and language therapists that were trying to kind of get into the the tech world um, and, and see how that transition could happen, as well as some of the few rehab tech companies that are actually out there um, and, and, you know, some of the leaders of, of product innovation. So Caitlin, um, her profile popped up and she was actually a speaker at the Rehab Tech Summit. So Caitlin's background is in occupational therapy. She graduated from the University of Scranton uh, with, a do- with a master's in occupational therapy and is now going for her doctorate at Boston University, um, really to try to bring this occupation, or sorry, not occupation, but bring the occupational lens into how accessibility is thought of in scaling these video games. Um, and, and I think she kind of did a, a really nice job at differentiating what leisure is compared to, you know, therapeutic type of, of rehab experiences and, and um, video game experiences. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting blend, you know, for to go from being an occupational therapist to working now at Microsoft and, and looking at an Xbox as, as the main product line that she's under. Uh, but yeah, the accessibility role really is to understand how people use products that might have disabilities, right? So if you're blind, having a screen reader on that reads all the text, um, you know, so I, I deal with that on a day-to-day, you know, as I build product, you know, with, with my role with CVS, um, obviously it's important for us for any user to be able to come on access you know the care that they need through our websites and um, but when we think of this from a therapeutic lens and how the role of accessibility is going to really be a game changer and i think it's going to be the role that scales digital therapeutics in a rehab setting because it's so crucial and it starts at the point of when a product's first being brought brought from an ide- ideation concept all the way through so as soon as you start that process and and the product lifestyle of doing user interviews an accessibility person needs to be there right right at the get-go and really start to understand how you know this a a certain chronic population is going to respond to a technology so yeah it it, it was a fascinating discussion um you know super lucky that she was able to join us and i think for for what we're doing you know and, and we're thinking about our role and how we're trying to, you know, support survivors and and help them find, you know, different type of ways to support their life after stroke. Um, you know, Caitlin's work is really doing that from a clinical perspective as well, showing that look, like you said, you know, how how are therapists going to really understand, you know, the the impacts that gaming and, and video game based therapy can have. Um, you know, we're, we're at the, we're in the first inning, I think, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're gaining, we're gaining momentum. Right. Um, and she did a really nice job of talking through some of those barriers um, and, and what she sees as, you know, the future and how we're yeah. going to get there. 
So they were, yeah, yeah we're definitely early on in the game. I like the way you put that early on in the innings there, but it's going to take skilled players like her. And she's, you know, we use the term super, superpower, but I think uh, mm-hmm. our uh, guests are going to really enjoy this discussion. Yeah. So let's get to it. Without further ado, let's welcome in Caitlin Jones, Occupational Therapy and Program Manager at Xbox. Hi, good evening, Caitlin. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, I think you're, as we, before we started the recording, you were telling us you're, we're on different time zones. David and I, as the guest viewers know, we're we're kind of East Coast split between New York and Rhode Island, but I think you might be our first West Coast guest. So welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, out in Washington in the Seattle area, but super great to connect back with the east coast that's where my parents are at so very good very good i think you were telling us before new jersey that's that was home for you as a child oh yeah yep (laughs) very nice very nice so okay before you know we dive really into the thick of it we you know we got connected through a mutual friend um who was at the rehab tech summit a few months back Um, but I came across your work and it just really popped out to me, you know? Um, so let's bring our guests there. I get, we, we've given a bit of a background in in terms of your role and and what you've accomplished, but let our listeners know, you know, who, who is Caitlin Jones? What are you doing now? And, and, you know, what's, what's in store over the next few months and years? Yeah. Um, so I, my name is Caitlin Jones. Um, I'm an occupational therapist by background and I also uh, am a, currently a program manager on the gaming accessibility team at Xbox. So a lot of what I do in that role is working with our first party game studios, as well as our hardware teams and our, our Xbox platform um, settings and user interfaces and try to help make those as accessible as possible for our customer base. So a lot of it entails you know, working with the disability community to kind of bring in their perspectives and make sure that what we're putting out into the world can truly be used and enjoyed and and played by as many people as possible. So a lot of it um, is I get to use my OT background and kind of clinical reasoning and and experiences to inform these accessible design efforts over at Microsoft. That's super, super exciting. And so for those guests now, not to say you know, our guests aren't cool and we don't have like people who are in the know. What so Xbox, give a brief elevator but you know what what is Xbox? What's this gaming world, you know, and kind of put it into reference of, you know, people might be familiar with like the Wii or or something like that. But can you give a, a scaled that version of, of what exactly the technology is that you work on? Yeah, so our Xbox platform is um, it's one of the, the major ways that people can play video games these days. Um, so we just launched two new video game consoles um, and essentially not only can you play on console, but you could also play our games on your phone. You can play our games on your PC. And a lot of mainstream culture today is, is focused around these video games that people, you know, they want to play games together and share in those experiences. So what we do at Xbox is give people a, a way to be able to play games 
you know, if you think back to the original video games um, way back then, you have your arcade machines and, and pinball and stuff like that. And this is kind of the future of, of all of those experiences in your lap at home or wherever you want to be on the go playing playing games. I don't know if that answered your question. I've never been asked I to think talk so. about what Xbox is. <laughs> I guess we should have, I guess this could have been a question maybe for David, you know, bring it, bring us back, you know, what, so uh, some, some, some games you grew up on, David, oh, what are some games oh. you grew up on? Oh, do you I want have, to... I have a list. I mean, are you, but... are you, is this going back to the age difference again, Mike? Come on, <laughs> confess. I, do you want me to say Atari? What do you want me to say? <laughs> no. Hey, just give us hey, your best. I, I personally, Kaylin, I know we're just getting to know each other. I personally did a lot of my own stroke rehab on the Wii. Um, I found the sensors to be very engaging and, and, and fun for me with a young family to, to not think I was doing rehab when I was having fun with my kids. Um, I, I, um, you know, and, and my, my family now has, I think just about every system, including, <laughs> um, um, Xbox, um, the, those were, um, on the, I know in that we do part of our shows, a lot of times we'll, we are following sort of what's happening on the rehab side, um, can you, and cause Mike kind of stole my thunder and asking a question about Xbox for our listeners who might not know. Um, and this is a question to related to is the connect system part of Xbox? Is that. Yes. Am I, <laughs> um, yes. Connect is part of Xbox. It's not an, uh, a product that we sell anymore, oh, but okay. um, they're, they're still out and about and can be used with um older xbox consoles and were used to be a product that we shipped along with the xbox yeah okay so there we go again mike older right but um the reason i bring it up um is uh because there was there were some rehab tech companies early on that were using that to connect and do some um, remote monitoring or tele measurement back into the home using the camera system so um but that's uh we're moved well beyond that it sounds like so well actually so when you talk about x uh connect in the xbox sense it's no longer um but connect has been brought back to life uh from okay. the grave and there's now a device called connect for azure that came out not too long ago and it is still sort of a camera system but it's more for enterprise type folks who use the the advanced camera for like monitoring uh, people walking in and out of their buildings and other types of like uh, machine learning type focus by using this, you know, improved camera from the original Connect, And we have heard a lot of clinical, maybe not a lot, but some clinical folks in hospitals trying to use this new Connect for Azure device to monitor uh, patients who are about to fall in their hospital rooms or the heartbeat of babies and chest rising. So we are still seeing it come back into the clinical space as well with this new device too. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. So Back us up a little bit here, Caitlin. Like, what what drew you to the intersection of occupational therapy and and you know technology, video games? Were were you an avid gamer growing up? Like, is this your dream job? <laughs> Everything come all the stars aligning. 
I, I always was an avid gamer. Um, I used to play for hours and hours when I was younger. Um, but what really got me into the clinical space was uh, back when I was in high school, my dad, he's a mechanical engineer by trade. And um, he had quite a few friends who were veterans who kind of came back um, from being deployed with these really severe injuries, missing anywhere from one to all four limbs, um, having different types of traumatic brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, things like that. And um, within the veteran population, playing video games is, we found it a huge thing among them because it's something that they did a lot of the times prior to deploying. And then when they were deployed, you know, they could play during their downtime to kind of escape from the situation, the stressful situations they were in during deployment. And they could play with friends and family back home and use it as a, a form of connection. So to have a lot of these veterans come back and be missing one or both hands or fingers and not be able to play video games anymore was pretty devastating for them. Uh, my dad decided to just start trying cracking open um, Xbox controllers and hardwiring out adaptive controls that kind of could be accessed by them since the, you know, the buttons on most standard controllers are very tiny, not optimized for somebody who's using a residual limb. Um, and he, he really liked doing it. He started a nonprofit called Warfighter Engaged. And um, I just, I thought the work that he was doing was cool back at high school me. And um, he would take me to some of the hospitals that he would uh, work at and with the folks there, one of them being Walter Reed Military Medical Center in Maryland. And um, I met some OTs there again, like late high school, didn't know what OT was, but saw them working with amputees uh, to teach them how to use their prosthetics to, you know, prepare a meal and feed themselves. Thought it was super cool. Went to school for OT. Um, and then we, our nonprofit got connected with Microsoft uh, on the Xbox adaptive controller project, which I could talk about more. But um, essentially, I, I wasn't planning on going into tech and this serendipitous connection with the tech world and gaming came up and it, yeah, everything kind of went from there. And it's, a, it's an interesting, you know, way to get involved. And I think you know, at least David and I, and for, you know, listeners who've been with us for a while, it, it all usually starts with, you know, that why, you know, why, why, you know, what's drawing you and, you know, David and I were doing this for a personal reason. And it sounds like you had that same drive, you know, by the work that your father was doing and being able to actually go into the clinic and see these vets coming back from war, not being able to do something that they, they love doing. Right. And I think it's so cool that you you know you're now being able to see that impact and that transition for a veteran who came back at one time not being able to play a video game they loved and now because of what you're doing and what you guys are built they have that joy they have that thrill again. So how like when we think about a stroke you know the stroke survivor community you know many folks are in that same bucket right you know they're they're now dealing with this life altering event, whether they can't use their hand the same way, their foot's, you know, they have foot drop, any any of the, you know, disabilities that unfortunately result as stroke. Um, I've done a bit of work, you know, and, and research into what power of like virtual reality and how immersing yourself in a different environment really has impact to not only rehabilitate your you physically, but cognitively as well. Like can you talk through, you know, as you're building this and as you're thinking of how these video games are built for 
that disabled community like what's your role specifically as in accessibility and like how are you bringing in what you know is from a clinical side to actually draw and say all right well this is what we need to do to make this accessible you know are, are you working with with patients do you bring po folks in are you kind of part of that side of product development or, or where does your role come in yeah, we definitely work a lot directly with members of the disability community, um, definitely through our, our user research teams who will bring folks in to test like a new demo of a game that's coming out. If that team, um, you know, maybe they did put some accessibility features and maybe they didn't, but to just get the prototypes of stuff that we want to ship into the hands of players who could give us feedback based on their experience as someone with that disability to improve upon it um, is really important. Uh, part of what, you know, our team kind of partners with the user research team on. We also work a lot with in the community. So we'll do um, game nights at local hospitals and on different hospital networks and things like that, where um, I'm kind of able to use my OT uh, previous language and knowledge to teach the OTs who are sometimes not familiar with gaming or technology at all, how to use our devices and set them up. So players who do have specific hardware or software accessibility needs, they can you know help them navigate that space for them so they can actually play. So, um, yeah, a lot of times I kind of think of it as almost activity analysis is what we call it back in the occupational therapy spaces. You know, if you're breaking down an activity, let's say it's um, somebody is doing an objective in a game, what does that player need to be able to do in order to be successful? So let's say they may, um, let's say the game only portrays characters visually. So if you can't see that an enemy is shooting at you because there's no noise letting you know and you're blind, how do you navigate the game space when the game is only giving you visual cues and you can't see the visual cues? So that's where we advocate and educate our game developers, talk about these people's experiences, pose the problems to them, and then have them get a better understanding of what these barriers are and then do things like implement spatial audio for any visual cue in the game. So players who are blind or deaf or vice versa have both cues through different sensory channels to actually navigate through the game space. And that's just one example of, of game accessibility, but it's really just talking about, you know, when you design this thing, what expectations are you setting? Are you expecting that a player can, let's say it's a, a controller, like by making the button on the controller the size of a pencil eraser, you're setting the physical expectation that everybody can isolate a single finger and press a button the size of a pencil eraser. But for those who can't, they're excluded from enjoying your product or game. So how do we work together to design something that doesn't pose these barriers or can be customized in ways that the barriers are not posed for specific players based on their setting preferences, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and wouldn't have um, thought of those of drilling down to that in terms of um, accessibility. I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot here, actually, and I appreciate your insights. Um, would if, if you if you um, if you Mike mentioned the beginning, um, common connections at the rehab tech summit. Um, 
were these were these um is this was this the focus of your talk there or um what <laughs> i don't put you on the spot to recall exactly what it was but i'm just wondering if it was access were you were you educating other uh you know i was there as a pt there were a lot of ot's um that attended it was a virtual event but i um i'm i was curious if um if the OTs that maybe like part of the excitement that oh, the, the big takeaways I learned was the networking, um, were, were you approached by a lot of other OTs about what you just described? Like, how do we bring that into the clinic? Or were they, were they more interested in like, how do I get a cool job like yours? Like, were they ready to make the switch or was it kind of a combination of both maybe? It was, I would say it was a combination of both. Um, I think I, I should have said this earlier on because it's definitely an important delineation. So I think there's accessibility um, for leisure and then there's accessibility for therapy. So what I just described where it's like we're trying to design games and gaming hardware so that people at home can easily play them without barriers I see that as accessibility more so for leisure. Um, and then when it comes to therapeutic accessibility, the difference with that is using games that have a base level of accessibility and actually giving patients the just right challenge to be able to use games to produce therapeutic or functional outcomes. So um, a quick example of that is if I have a patient who, you know, let's say that they're working on their dynamic balance. Um, if I was designing a hardware setup for access, I would put both buttons really close together because then they could just use both of their hands to tap buttons. They don't need to move. If I was designing for therapeutic accessibility, I would have them standing and then put the two buttons very far apart on the table and have to have them shift their weight back and forth to work to press those buttons on time while they're engrossed in the game and provide that challenge to them, but still in a way that's baseline accessible. It's not a game that's so hard they can't even play. Um, so there's uh, some talks I give is more about therapeutic access. How can we use games to provide that just right challenge to engage clients and patients, but still produce those outcomes? And then some of it is how do we just make something fully accessible for a player who just wants to play and enjoy the game, um, but as is off the shelf, it's not accessible for them just yet. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, unfortunately, I didn't attend that um, stroke or not stroke, but the um, tech rehab summit. But that focus is almost a different streamline of other digital therapeutic digital health companies, right? Because when we think of like what has over the past year and a half since the pandemic really scaled in the digital health space, it's at home fitness, it, you know, you, you look at like the Pelotons and that those devices, and then more specifically in the clinical sense, you look at diabetes prevention and management. And for the most part, when you're designing products for that population, you're not dealing with a population that have like stroke survivors who might have a physical cognitive impairment, right? Um, not to say they can't use that technology, but it's almost when we look at the stroke rehab space and, you know, it, it's almost been kind of tucked away in terms of like products that are in parallel to the likes of Livongo and those, you know, digital health apps that work for a certain chronic population. And 
you know, they're just saying, oh, well, no, you know, this won't work for neuro rehab because blah, you know, and don't really give an explanation, you know? So I, I'd be interested to see like, you know, what do you think granted that event last year was at what the start it was, what it was it like 20, it was through the pandemic, right? Yeah. 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 So like, what do you think has changed in the landscape over the course of the past year? Um, you know, if when they have this event in another couple weeks, or I think it's coming up in February 2022, I believe, you know, what's changed over the past year in your eyes? You know? Yeah, I, I'm not too familiar with the, you know, app space and a lot of those digital health things. But I think the biggest kind of piece of feedback that we get from our players is that a lot of times, um, you know, we'll try to give them therapeutic games or, you know, games that are specifically designed for therapeutic outcomes by, um, you know, rehab tech companies. But at the end of the day, what we see is that gaming is is really a big part of culture. And, and if you're going to use gaming and therapy with folks, like people want to play what everybody else is playing. They want to engage in that piece of culture and they don't want to play a, ther- a very basic, simple therapy game on an arm bike that seems monotonous. They want to play Halo and Fortnite and all the other things that their friends are playing and engage with, with those friends and family. So I think what I've seen as improvements in the space is just more and more accessibility features and um you know, ground being broken in terms of actual game studios and hardware developers just putting products out on the market that are accessible at a baseline, um, thus allowing therapists to use more of these commercially available games, which also tend to be a, a lot less expensive than, you know, therapeutic rehab machines and stuff like that, and, and being able to integrate that into their practice and not being limited anymore. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And, you know, as an occupational therapist, what do, what do you think makes you good at your job as an accessibility man, accessibility role, I suppose? What's that uniqueness that you that you bring? Um, I think a lot of it is about uh, just seeing the whole the whole person, we focus on the holistic view of people a lot as occupational therapists. But in my day job, I work with folks who don't have any of the clinical experience. They have never, you know, been in a room with a 10 or 12 people with different types of disabilities or worked with hundreds of different people with different disabilities over the course of their job. They have this very limited um, scope sometimes of what disability is and how it impacts product and device use. So I think um, just being able to take that holistic perspective of, you know, it's not just about finger movement, but let's also think about, um, you know, the cognitive load and, and some other stuff that are all kind of coming into play simultaneously when we're looking at product accessibility is is something that I think more people definitely could have, but they they weren't OTs or they weren't PTs or clinical folks that just got that hands-on experience in the same way that I got to before transitioning over. And I'm glad you hear that. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say occupational therapists out there, you guys are in a great spot you know, to make yeah. that transition. <laughs> definitely. Sorry and just add and understanding workflows from the clinical. So what seems like maybe a great idea in the lab has to fit into, you know, the use of time and space and the resources that clinicians have. So you, you, that, that is your, you have some superpowers there. So I'm glad <laughs> you're using them well. 
<laughs> so let's transition into your other superpower, doing this on top of a doctorate. So your research, um, I'll have to look at my notes, promoting the use of commercial video game-based interventions as an engaging and meaningful occupation in occupational therapy treatment sessions to improve targeted client outcomes is what I have. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Yes, it was. I need to rewrite wherever you took that from. (laughs) So talk us through this doctorate research that you're doing and, and what's your end goal with it? Yeah, so I think ultimately, in lesser words than all the ones you read <laughs> just now, um, I, I just I really want to make it easier for occupational therapists to be able to use video games with their clients more regularly because um, there is research that supports the the ability of video games to help clients engage in activities for longer periods of time because they're engrossed and enjoying the game they're not focused on their pain or, or fatigue or things like that um, but I the more OTs that I talk to especially those who reach out knowing that you know I, I work with X, Xbox gaming company um, is that a lot of them have been voicing very similar barriers to why they can't just easily start using gaming with their clients. And some of those main barriers are things like cost. Um, It's not no cost to just buy a gaming console. That's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Plus you have the controllers, games, um, different switch buttons and adaptive hardware setups for your clients. So big barriers, costs. Another barrier is just they don't really know where to start in some sense, especially if they're not gamers or um, accessibility professionals. It's like, where do I even wrap my head around what I need for my clients, how I do setups that engage those functional outcomes, the just right challenge, like I talked about earlier. Um, Management support comes into play a lot. And then what you mentioned earlier, David, things like how does that uh, impact my productivity if I'm setting up and tearing down gaming equipment all the time? Do I have somewhere to store it in my clinic? You know, do I work somewhere where it might get stolen if it's in, you know, the, the community room or whatever. So um, my goal is to kind of look at all of these primary barriers that make it difficult for OTs to adopt gaming in, create an intervention plan that addresses th- those barriers, which include um, donation of equipment, as well as um, training videos specific to occupational therapists uh, that go through both the basics of just setting up an Xbox controller, setting up a, an adaptive controller, as well as picking games that you know, promote certain types of therapeutic outcomes, how to do the hardware setups to promote those therapeutic outcomes, and then discussions around how you actually document um, your use of gaming in therapy, because that's another big fear is like, well, if I use this, is it not going to be reimbursable through insurance unless I say it or do it a certain way, that kind of thing. So essentially, that that's the goal of my doctoral project is to address these barriers and see what is the most effective in addressing these different barriers and hopefully try to create a, a true system or process out of that and you know hopefully partner with xbox or microsoft to kind of back whatever it is we find that is effective through the research and just get get more gaming in the hands of clients and patients because i think it's important that ot's um know know what it is and how to use it and even if that's not for them using it in the clinic we're going to see more and more and more you know, clients come in that hold gaming as a meaningful occupation because they grew up with it. It's it's familiar. It's culture to them. So as OTs, for us to not 
be prepared to help our clients re-engage in something like gaming, even as a leisure activity, because we don't know the technology. We're not doing our job. We're not serving our clients as well as we can be by not learning about this stuff and helping them um, navigate it. So, yeah, actually, that was way more words than the original sentence you just got my project as. So, um, but that, that's kind of the gist of it. Well, I understood your answer better than I understood Mike's question. So that was really well. So if you can, if you can pinpoint those outcomes and put it in, I mean, that's really important work because, you know, we share the same pain points as OTs and PTs. It's all about justifying outcomes, especially now with the reimbursement, the way it is. So that's important work. Can, um, can you, I don't know if I missed, where, where are you doing your, your, your um, doctoral work? Yeah, it's, it's through Boston University. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you, you know, you're drilling in a focus of occupational therapy, but it's across the care continuum, you know, especially when you think of stroke and uh, speech and language therapy being, you know, a, ma- a main focus um, and a, a lot of apps out there, but it's, you know, that ease of use. And uh, I think, like you said, reimbursement, there's, there's so many things that still need to be discussed and remain barriers. Um, you know, as we talk about getting this technology into the home, into the clinics, how occupational or occupational therapists and other therapists could use this technology. So with that, like, who do you see, you know, and, you know, you've gone back and said, I hope, you know, we could partner with, with Microsoft on this. Do you see a company like Microsoft being able to really drive this change at, at scale? Or is it going to be kind of the the smaller companies that are more targeted into narrow focus for specific therapeutic tools? Um, I think it's going to kind of have to be be work on both sides of the clinical community and both large and small tech companies, to be honest. Um, You know, as long as we as therapists can continue to use their products and do research showing the efficacy of using their products with our patients, they'll hopefully see that investment to continue to create these accessible products for us. And um, by them knowing that, you know, when we have OTs who are treating hundreds of clients who thought they would never game again and now can, what we're doing for a company like Xbox or Microsoft is bringing back all of these gamers and subscribers who previously quote unquote left their platform. And now they're back at it. They're gaming again, they're purchasing games, they're, you know, buying subscriptions, hardware. So, um, you know, unfortunately when it comes to big business, a lot of it is obviously funds and, and money driven, but I think if we can show the, the monetary value and holistic accessibility value of using Microsoft and Xbox's products, they'll see the value and continue to work with us to invest in this, you know, cyclical manner. Yeah, definitely. you'd love to see, you know, accelerators, things built off uh, out of Microsoft in this, in this area. I think that'd be amazing. Um, David, do you want to move in? And I, and I know we usually hold this question last and if you, I will, I'll let you take the reins on, on this one though, for the magic wand. Yeah. Um, First of all, this is this has been um, I've learned a lot in this in this session, especially, you know, um, regarding the your insights, Caitlin, on, um, you know, 
what's meaningful. And I know our magic wand question is usually about if you had to wave a magic wand and what would the ideal uh, experience be in to improve rehab and outcomes. Um, but I'll still ask you that question, but I just wanted to add that really important in what, you, you know, what you mentioned about is we've, we've been following the data for a long time on stroke. And, and, and although there have been declines in some segments of the population and the incidence of stroke, one of the fastest growing is still um, climbing area of stroke is the younger stroke population. So what you mentioned in terms of um, building tools and technology and things that are engaging that they want to use in their rehab is really important. And it just like hit me when you were describing that. I'm saying, you know, absolutely. So long way into asking you that question. And do you feel from your experience, what would that magic wand look like if you could wave it? Yeah, I think it would be exactly that. And, you know, I hear that a lot from from therapists when we're talking about gaming and they'll kind of say, well, you know, I work in a skilled nursing facility or I work with the geriatric population. So my, my ears are shut. As soon as you start talking about gaming, I know my clients don't want to do that and don't care about it. Um, so I think on one side of things, you uh, to those people, I would say you might be surprised because even if that client doesn't, maybe their grandson does. And if you could have them play a game together as part of their therapy, um, you know, you might be surprised at, at the outcomes and the, the increased engagement. But then on the other side of things is, is like you mentioned, David, going back to the different ages and, and populations of folks is that, um, Obviously, for those who are younger now in rehab for stroke, um, super relevant, but sorry, of course, my dogs are fighting right now. Um, <laughs> if you hear them on the ground. Uh, but the, the other part of things is, you know, like our, our current pediatric populations today are the geriatric populations to, of tomorrow. And we're currently seeing, I think it's those who are about 30 to 35 right now have technically grown up with video games in some capacity available to them uh, very regularly. So they're, you know, they're the gamers of 20, 15, 20 years from now who may be those geriatric patients and they're going to hold gaming for the most part as that meaningful occupation. So even if you don't think it's relevant to you now as a therapist, it's coming soon where it is something that's going to be very relevant to you and your clients. And I wish that, you know, if I could wave a magic wand as we could adopt kind of that mindset more of it goes beyond just what, what you think that your client is interested in, but rather how can you engage the family now? And then down the road, are you prepared to tackle clients who are interested in that um, not too far from now? Super. So well, so well said. You, you, you've got Savius. You, you, you've shown us some of your superpowers. Keep, keep doing the great work that you're doing because um, what the the insights and that I can't wait to be able to share this with our listeners. Um, this was um, a, a a great um, you know a, a dive into an area that um, you know Mike will say because I'm a little older, maybe I don't understand as well, but. But we do try to stay up on what's what's. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> no, no, I think no, I think you did right, and and I think it's like yeah, the video games of the seventies are aren't what the video games are of today, and it won't be what the video games are yeah. of the future. You know, anybody who followed Mark Zuckerberg through his metaverse that he came out with recently kind of shows that it, it 
we're going to work in a different way in 20 years. We're going to, you know, have relationships in a different way. And we're, you know, patients are going to, unfortunately, continue to have, you know, kind of issues that result in a rehab experience. So, you know, if as we transition with that, I think the work you're doing is, you know, super pivotal, not only for the patient, but for therapists as well to really understand that patient experience and and know what's coming. So yeah, you know, thank you for your time. And um, it's been really, really useful to dive into this. And as the space continues to grow more, more occupational therapists need to get into this space, because like you said, you do have superpowers that are different than an not to say that the average body going into the accessibility space, but it, but it is true. You know, your, your clinical focus is how does, do we look at day-to-day function and being able to bring that into a product that is going to be used is, is very important. So continue the great work and who knows, maybe you could be a re- reoccurring guest after you finish your doctorate. And uh, we, we thank you for giving us as much time because you must be a very busy woman. <laughs> Especially, yeah, no. what is, is it two dogs or just the one? You said your dogs were fighting. So. They were. There's, there's only two oh, as of now. So, <laughs> yeah, no, this was super great. Um, I'm so just grateful that you guys are, are, you know, like looking into this kind of stuff and talking about it because it's so important. So thank you for, for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for joining us this evening. And we'll put all the resources and your causes in the show notes. And along with ways for folks to reach out to you if they have any questions. So with that said, Mike, take us out. All right. Well, for us on the East Coast, it's uh, it's getting to about dinner time. So I think we're going to head off and have, have ourselves some dinner. But I know you, you're a few hours stuck, so I'll let you enjoy the rest of your evening. And again, anyone who's interested in, in contacting Kate, and I believe we'll have your, your uh, Twitter handle, any other contact information. So take a look in the show notes and stay tuned for some brilliant work out of Seattle. Thank you. Thank All right. You, Caitlin. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke recovery in the brain with tips, technology, and interesting Stroke Thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.